Hello world! Welcome back to my one-person podcast, The Bible Abridged. Today's episode is brought to you by BigBadHangover.com. It's a hangover cure, and it works like a charm. When we left off, this lady JL had just hammered a spike through General Sisera's head into her floor. Whether or not she knew he was an enemy of Israel, or if she just thought he was rude for barging into her tent and demanding things, I'm not sure. And if you remember, at this point, Israel was led by a woman named Deborah, and her buddy Barack, who's named after Obama, had just fucked up their occupying Canaanite army. And God, or more likely some random soldiers, killed Jabin, the occupying king. Uh, Judges 5. So Deborah and Barack decided to sing a song together that went, went roughly like this. When we're not being conquered and people are surrendering, I praise God. Hear this, people in charge. I will sing a song to my God about himself. When you, God, went to different regions of the Middle East, things happened there. With or without you, like earthquakes and rainstorms. Oh, remember Shamgar and Jael from last episode? People wouldn't fight until I told them to. Except Shamgar, who wasn't in the same time as me. But now I'm the mother of Israel. Barack and I fucked those people up. And now we're singing about it. This is the latest in a long line of victorious battles. While we were fucking these guys up, this guy Dan was hanging out with his ships. This other guy, Gilead, was doing some other stuff on the other side of the Jordan. But we fucked this army up, and Jael hammered a spike through the general's head. And now our men have two sex slaves per man. And us women get colorful garments. What a deal. <laughs> After that song, there's, there's peace for 40 years. Judges 6. Well, 40 years of peace is apparently nothing to talk about, so the book just fast-forwards to 40 years after Deborah and Barak's hit jam of 1200 B.C. To when the Israelites pissed God off again and got themselves conquered again, this time by the Midianites, who I thought Moses had extincted a few hundred years ago. So not only did Moses fail to extinct the Midianites, they were apparently so numerous, like all of a sudden, that the Israelites couldn't even plant crops or have a donkey out in the open without the Midianites sweeping through and just fucking everything up. So now, given the history of the Israelites and how they treated every single fucking city they came across, it's kind of hard to feel sorry for them here. Especially because, as I mentioned before, no matter how bad their invading armies treated them, they still allowed them to live. Hence, us reading this shit today. Also, I would say the Midianites were somewhat justified in their oppression of Israel, seeing as what happened last time their paths crossed. Well, God may or may not be Dr. Seuss, because to go defeat Midian, he pointed a guy named Gideon. And Gideon tried to argue with God, saying he was the weakest member of his family, and that his family was the weakest family the weakest tribe of Israel. But God said, that's fine, I'll help you kill all the Midianites, every single one, leaving nobody alive. Gideon decided the only way to make sure that this was God talking to him, not just a voice in his head, which may be the first time that's actually happened in this book, he needed to lay out some goat meat and crackers over a rock and cover it with broth. Then the rock started to fire. Gideon started freaking out, and then God told him to steal a bull from his dad. Gideon's dad, not God's dad. Go fuck up his altars and poles to the more chill gods, Baal and Asherah, and then go build a regular altar that God liked, and set the bull on fire the pedantic ass way that we covered way back in the Moses books. It turned into a whole thing, by the way. Apparently you can't go around fucking up religious stuff without people getting mad at you. Or so I've been told. A mob decided they were going to kill Gideon, but his dad convinced them to let Baal do it. And Baal didn't do it, either because he didn't exist, or he was just too chill. Well, after all this, Gideon asked for one more sign. He left a piece of fleece out overnight, and the next morning it was damp. 
God, or the voice in his head, was like, See? Who's ever heard of cloth getting damp by the morning dew before, huh? Then the next day, the opposite thing happened. The fleece was dry, but the ground was wet. This was enough for Gideon to decide he just wanted to go fuck some Indians right in the Shittians. Judges 7. So Gideon, who people started calling Jerubbaal, which means let Baal deal with them, gathered up an army of 32,000 people. Some people might ask how a country with an army of 32,000 people was able to get conquered in the first place, but if you like asking questions, this probably isn't the book for you in the first place. To give some reference, the army that Joan of Arc commanded was about 12,000 people, or so Google tells me. Well, God decided that Gideon had too many soldiers. It was worried that the glory of the victory would go to Gideon and his army, and not to God. And as he was established, God doesn't like anyone getting any praise or anything positive except for himself. So Gideon told the army, anyone who's scared, go home. 22,000 people, or over two-thirds of the army, just up and left. God was like, hmm, 10,000 people, still too many. So Gideon took all 10,000 men down to the river and said, drink some water. The ones who lapped at the water with their tongues, like a dog, which is a thing I've never seen a person do, got sent home. The ones who used their hands were allowed to stay. Of the 10,000 men, how many would you guess used their hands to drink the water instead of lapping it up with their tongues? Like half? A quarter? No. 300 people. 3% of the army. I'm curious how Gideon was able to monitor 10,000 people drinking water at the same time, but again, questions. So Gideon kept the 300 men and sent everyone else home. He heard someone talking about his dream, about some bread crushing a tent. He was probably just bored out of his mind just hearing about it. Until someone else said, oh, that dream must be about Gideon. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. This guy said that before anything happened. And also, no one talks like that. This dialogue reads like it was written by George Lucas. Well, Gideon started his assault. He had three groups of 100 men each sneak down to the Midianite camp, whose, quote, camels were so numerous they were as uncountable as the sands of the seashore. He had these 300 men blow their trumpets, smash some pots, and shout out something about swords for Gideon. And this, of course, made all the Midianites run around as fast as they could, crying the whole way. And then they started killing each other because they were so confused. Or maybe there were just a lot of scores that needed to be settled and everyone was just waiting for the right time. Either way, they fled to a place called Beth Shitta, which I only included because of the name. So then the people from Ephraim killed this guy Oreb on the rock of Oreb, and this guy Zeb at the wine press of Zeb, which was convenient. Then they gave Gideon these guys' heads. Judges 8. After giving Gideon the severed heads of Oreb and Zeb, the Ephraim folks mentioned that they were all pissed off because Gideon wasn't including them in his activities. Gideon said, but hey, you guys were able to kill two guys and cut their heads off. That was pretty fun. Ephraim people decided he was right. They were, then they were happy again. Gideon and his 300 men kept chasing the rest of the Midianites, hoping to kill all of them ruthlessly. When they stopped at Succoth to get some food, the guys at Succoth told them to fuck off. Gideon told them that their flesh would get torn open by desert thorns. Then they went to this other place called Peniel, and they told them to go to hell. Gideon said, later on, I'm going to tear this tower down. I'm guessing there's a tower there. He wasn't just saying random words. While the remaining Midianite army was about 15,000 people strong. So Gideon and his 300 men just snuck up behind them, and apparently each man of his killed 50 people each without getting hurt themselves. The leaders of the Midianites, Zeba and Zalmunna, fled 
but Gideon caught them later. Then he went and brought every elder of Succoth out in the desert and sliced them open with desert thorns. Therefore, fulfilling his promise, familiar. Then he went and tore down the tower at Peniel and killed everyone there. After all this, he asked Zabeth and Zalmunna, What kind of men did you kill? And they were like, I don't know, man. People like you, I guess? Gideon said, Oh, you fuckers. Those were my brothers, the sons of my mother, in case you didn't know what brothers meant. Then he commanded his son, who was still a fucking child, I might add, to kill these guys. His son was too afraid to do it because he was a child. Reminding you that child in this book means under 13 years old. So Gideon's prepubescent son didn't want to kill these grown-ass men. So Gideon was forced to do it himself. And then the story just kind of ends. They say Israel had 40 more years of peace. Gideon had accumulated some sex slaves and his, between his multiple wives and his sex slaves. He had 70 goddamn children. One of them was named Abimelech, named after the king who tried to fuck the 90-year-old Sarah way back in episode 3. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites went and started worshipping that chill god Baal again. And that's all I have for you today. So check back next week for a bunch more stories of Israel being conquered and then conquering and repeat. And if you're the drinking type, check out BigBadHangover.com. I'll see you soon.